Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Uh, Psalm chapter 51, if you have your Bibles, thank you for being here this morning. Rock Spring, Rossville, Dalton online, however you're engaged, you may be watching this weeks from now, but thank you for engaging with us and being part of our service here this morning. I started a new sermon series, I guess this is maybe my fourth sermon on singing a new psalm, a song. We're going through our favorite psalms, and today is maybe not our favorite psalm, but it's one of the most impactful one of the most uh, well-known in the book of Psalms. So I want to preach on this today out of Psalm 51, how to come clean with God, how to come clean with God. I saw this stat the other day, these stats the other day about, um, well, I don't know how to say it, prisoners, people in prison or people accused of a federal Crime. Now, that's not going to be most of us in the room or out of the room, but here's what I learned about in 2022. Look at these numbers in case you ever thought about committing a federal crime. 0.4% of defendants in federal criminal cases went to court and were acquitted. Now, let me, let me put that in perspective. You see the number on the screen. 290 out of about 72 thousand people went to court and came off innocent in 2022. All I'm saying is your chances are small. 1,379 went to trial and were found guilty. They wasted their time, 2%. About 90% pled guilty, 8.2 were dismissed. 90% pled guilty. Of 72,000 people accused of a federal crime in 2022, 90% pled guilty. The vast majority of federal criminals had no problem standing before a judge and saying, I am guilty. Now, why? Would they have had no problem standing before a judge and saying, I'm guilty? I'll tell you why. We typically only confess when the um, evidence is so stacked against us that we have no other option. Right? Can we just be truthful this morning? If we're not caught, we rarely confess. Can I get an amen right there? Or an Omi, whichever one you want to do. I've told you this story before, but it bears the point. I was about 10 years old. I had an uncle that was maybe only 8 or 9 or 10 years older than me he is. And he came and he was my dad's brother. And he came and spent the week with us when I was 9 or 10-year-old boy. We owned some property down below our house. And on that property, 
my dad had an old car that he was, um, he was fixing up. Now, I'm not telling you it was going to look great when it was done, but dad was working on it. It was a project. It was some kind of foreign car that was not on the road very much, and dad was working on restoring it and remaking it. We were down there, me and my uncle, just on this land we owned, and we were just... We had a BB gun, and we were just doing what boys do with a BB gun. We were having a good time shooting anything that moved, basically, that was down there. Uh, and so uh, we kind of wandered away from each other for a minute, and I heard my uncle call me. He said, hey, come here, let me show you something. And he was standing next to that car, and the back window of that car had been shattered into a million pieces, it looked like. Just a beautiful, it was still intact, but it was this beautiful just network of um, shattering and and I said man I didn't know that window was that way he said it wasn't I shot the corner of this window with the BB gun trying to put a little hole in the window just for the fun of it and this is what happened I said there's no way you did that with a BB gun he said uh, I did Um, you try it Sound like a plan to me. Again, I was nine years old. And so I went to the front window beside it, shot the corner of it, and sure enough, he's right. It went and just was this beautiful. If it had been stained glass, it had been beautiful. Well, now we got a problem. One side of the car, the windows is shattered. The other side of the car, they are not. So, now he's 10 years older than me. I don't know where his reasoning was, but in my 9 or 10-year-old reasoning, this made sense to me. We said, what are we going to do? And the most obvious thing to do was do the same thing to the other two windows on the other side so they matched. So he went over there, shot the corner of the back window, did it again. It was beautiful. I did the front window, shot it again. It was beautiful. And we sat there looking at that, and we were like, well, this is not good. You can see that from 100 yards away. We're surely going to get caught. What are we going to do? And again, in our reasoning in the moment, we said, the best thing to do would be just to completely bust the windows out, and that way it looks clear, and he might not notice it for weeks and months. So that's what we did. We knocked out all four door windows with the BB gun, kind of raked them clean and just left the glass where it was. And we thought, we are brilliant. We could be criminals. Like, we are so good at this. And we kind of pinky swore we would not give in if we got caught. All's well day one. We go to bed that night, we wake up the next morning, I get up later than my uncle does, I walk in the kitchen, it's a cold morning, I stand by a heater we have in the wall, my uncle and my dad are sitting at the dining room table together, and I'm nervous. I walk up to the heater, I back up to it, and my dad looked at me and said, I know, We'd we'd already pinky swore. I know he didn't know what we pinky swore about yesterday. And I said, you know what? He said, I know, Joel. And I said, I 
you know, I'm just confused, Dad. I don't know what it is you know. And my dad said, son, I'm going to give you one more chance to tell me the truth. And my uncle, realizing that I'm at a very pivotal moment in my life, says, Joel, I told him. But I'm not giving in because we pinky swore yesterday. He said, I told him. And I said, you told him what? My dad says, your last chance. And I said, I, I just don't know what we're talking about. And my dad said, I know about the windows in the car. I said, somebody busted out the windows in the car? (laughs) Things did not go well for me from that point forward. Because I wasn't going to confess. I was caught with a smoking gun. BB gun. And I was not going to confess. And before you make fun of my nine-year-old self, your 40-year-old self ain't much better, is it? Matter of fact, let's take a poll. Let's take a poll. I want you to find yourself somewhere in here. All right? Here's the question. How likely are you to confess when you are wrong, right? Now, don't answer out loud. Don't answer out loud. I just want you to Find yourself somewhere in this survey, right? How likely are you to confess when you're wrong? I mean, I want you to think, right now, some of you are in wrong right now, right? So how likely are you to confess? How about this? A, I immediately admit my sin. If that's you, internally raise your hand. That ain't you, all right? No, no, B, B, I confess after my conscience has bothered me for a period of time. Right? Some of you, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that in a moment. Some of you, you know, your conscience will bother you. My uncle, the con- he had a conscience, bothered him. Apparently, I'm a sociopath. It didn't bother me at all. <laughs> I wasn't saved at the time, so if that makes you feel any better and uh, conscious body. How about C? I typically wait until someone catches me in the wrong. Vast majority of people land here. Or like, finally, number four. I swear on my grave I didn't do it. Is that you? Like, I, I didn't do it. How likely are you to confess when you are wrong? Well, Psalm 51 is the confession passage of the Christian. How we should react when, we do, when we've done wrong. How clean we should come when we've done wrong. Can we just all admit this morning that we all sin? Chances are you've messed up this week. Chances are you've got a sin in your life. You've got a wrong in your life. And the people around you may not know it. Your family may not know it. And you may not have admitted it to God. But the fact is it is there. And God knows it's there. And what are you going to do about it? How do you come clean with God? David in Psalm 51 gives us the formula for coming clean with God when there's something in our life that's drawing us farther and farther away from our Savior. Stand with me as we read God's Word. Psalm 51, it'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles, wherever you may be. You look at the title of the psalm for the choir director, a psalm of David. When the prophet Nathan came to him after he'd gone to Bathsheba. Look at verse 1. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. 
completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I'm conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I'll teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. In your good pleasure, call Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, in case you don't know the sin of David, here it is. David, at a time when the kings were supposed to go out to war, David was the warrior king. He was supposed to lead his army into battle. David had been so victorious. He had trained his army so well. He had such good leaders. David decided to stay home while all the men went out to fight the war. David, while he was at home, was on the rooftop of his house looking down at the houses around the palace. And there he saw a beautiful woman named Bathsheba who was bathing outside. All of this was common in the day. David should have looked away. David should have gone back inside. Instead, David invited Bathsheba up into his kingdom, up into his palace, and David and Bathsheba committed adultery in order to cover it up because she became expecting with child. David uh, orchestrated and had her husband killed in battle. So in just a few short weeks, David has committed adultery, David has committed murder, and David is covering it up. When we get to the timeline of Psalm 51, David is sitting on the throne and he thinks that no one is the wiser. Up comes the preacher named Nathan. Nathan comes up to David and he tells him a parable. We won't get into all of that. But at the end of it, David is angry. And David said, we've got to kill the man who would commit such a crime. And the preacher Nathan looked at him, the prophet Nathan looked at him, and the famous word said, thou art the man. And it was in that moment 
that David's eyes were open and his heart was broken because of his sin. And so it was in that moment that the formation of Psalm 51 happened. In my mind, I picture David going behind, a, maybe behind the curtain of the throne room. And there it is, David falling on his knees in repentance. And it was there in that moment that the words of Psalm 51 came to David. And it's in that moment that David taught us all how to come clean with God. Can I talk to you today? Can I talk to me? Can I give you four things we learn? And I want to say this about Psalm 51. Every verse in Psalm 51 is worthy of its own examination and own sermon. I'm going to skip over some today because I just don't have time to deal with it. But I want to make maybe four major headings, four major points that we learn in Psalm 51. Write these down. How do we come clean with God? Number one, we do this. Listen for conviction. Listen for conviction. Look, look at what he said in verses three and four. I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you're right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. He said, I am, I am conscious of my rebellion. My sin is always before me. Have you ever felt that way in your life? David said, listen, I committed adultery and I couldn't get it out of my mind. I I cheated on my wife. I cheated with another man's wife. And though I did it, and though I'm acting like nothing's wrong, and though on the outside everything may seem right to you, I'm telling you, my conscience is always bothering me. My sin is always before me. I murdered a man. I murdered a man. And I can't get it out of my mind. I murdered a man, and it's weighing heavy on my spirit. David said, I am constantly conscious of my rebellion. My sin is always before me. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, what David was expounding on was this, that that is the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God in his life. That is the voice of the Holy Spirit of God. And can we stop and say this today, that when we have sin in our lives, that the Holy Spirit of God, listen, if you are a child of God. Hold on. If you can sin and it not bother you, if, if you can sin and that's like everything's okay, if you can be in sin and be living your best life, hear me, you are not a child of God. You're not. Because here's what David said happens to a child of God. That voice of the Holy Spirit is constantly with me. That voice of the Holy Spirit is weighing heavy on my conscience. That voice of the Holy Spirit, that conviction of the Holy Spirit is making me permanently aware. I eat breakfast in the morning and my sin is on my mind. I go throughout my day and my sin is on my mind. I go to bed at night and I can't sleep because sin is on my mind. It is a constant reminder of what is wrong in my life. 
That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's that reminder that something is out of place between you and God. Tell me if you know what this sound is. I remember I was in, uh, I'm just gonna let it play for a minute. I need to get to the point of aggravation. I remember I was in high school and I took driver's ed and Coach Hawker Road was my driver's ed teacher. And I remember back in the day, nobody buckled. The 1984 version of a seatbelt was your mama doing this when she came to a stop. We didn't have shoulder belts, we had lap belts back in the day. Remember Coach Hawker Road, buckling had kind of became a thing in about 1984 and he said, uh, driver's ed, he would take us out driving, you, you got to go about once every two or three weeks and he said, hey, one rule I have, uh, if you don't buckle, you fail the class. So I learned in driver's ed to buckle. But you know, every now and then when you get in a car, you got to do something before you get buckled. There's sometimes coming out of my driveway, I always buckle. There's sometimes backing out of my driveway while I'm in my communi- community, I'm trying to get the podcast where I want it to be. I'm trying to get everything situated. I'm trying to get my phone plugged up where it needs plugged up. And there are times I probably wouldn't buckle until I got out of the subdivision. But there is one thing that makes me buckle going down my hill. You know what it is? Because there is not a more aggravating sound on the planet. I told my wife the other day, I told my wife, I said, they make this sound annoying on purpose. Y'all can cut it off now. It's supposed to cut off when I change slide. They make it annoying on purpose. It's not a pleasant sound. It's not music to your ears. Why? It is a constant reminder. You can't get it off. Like you, I mean, you can do some funky things, buckle up behind you, but it's getting smarter than that. Pretty soon the AI in your car is going to be like, nope, that's not going to work either. You say, preacher, I believe in freedom. We ought to have the right to buckle or not buckle. I'm with you all the way. I don't care about any of that. I just want the noise to stop because it's a constant reminder. Something's not right. That is exactly the way the conviction of the Holy Spirit ought to be in your life. It ought to be this annoying noise in your heart. It ought to be this annoying noise in your mind. It ought to be this annoying noise in your spirit that says something is not right in your life. John 16, 8 tells us this. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, speaking about the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he'll convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Listen, Romans 6.23 says this. We know this verse well. For the wages of sin is death. The conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life is this constant reminder in your life that the wages of sin is death. That if you keep going, something's going to die. That if you keep going, something is going to be killed. Listen to me this morning. What is the Holy Spirit dinging in your heart and life about? I mean, we see it all through the Bible, right? Adam, when he first sinned, had that dinging in his heart because when Jesus came, he went and hid. David, David said, my sin is ever before me. 
Jonah had it going on. Peter had it going on in the New Testament. Listen, you say, what is this conviction? Let me tell you what this conviction is. This conviction is for the child of God when you've done wrong, you're almost glad to get caught. Because the Holy Spirit has not let you go. What is it in your life? What, what is it in your life that's bringing you away from? Now, I'm not saying any of us are perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all stumble on our spiritual journey from time to time. And there are things in your life that you do wrong and you seek forgiveness immediately. But there may be something in your life that you're holding on to. If you're a child of God, listen for the conviction of the Spirit of God in your life. David said, my, it's in my conscience and my sin is ever before me. Had I come clean with God, you listen to the Spirit of God as he says in your heart, this is not right, this is not right, this is not right, this is not right. David had brushed that conviction off for however long. Months that we know of because the child with Bathsheba had already been born. It may have been years may have been over a year. That every day of David's life, the Spirit of God said, David, you are not right with me. And every day, David shoved that to the side. You want to come clean with God, you listen to the Spirit of God as it dings in your heart, as it convicts your heart. How do you come clean with God? Number one, you listen for conviction. Number two, You ask for compassion. David used three words to describe his sin. Yes, I have them on the screen. Look at these three words. David used all of these in this psalm to describe his sin. He said, uh, number one, I sinned. Uh, The word there in the Hebrew is the typical Hebrew word we'll see for sin. It means I missed the mark. Uh, The second word he used was transgression. Now, transgression goes a little bit deeper. It is a will in rebellion. It is is I I willingly rebel, that I have, I have taken my will and I have on purpose rebelled against God. Well, the third word he used is the word, uh, well, it says inquiry, it should say iniquity. It, it means a crooked, perverse wickedness in your life. So it is, you've gotten wrong and more wrong, like you have willingly stepped away from God. And listen, David committed murder. I hope none of you in here have committed murder in the last few weeks or days or months of your life. But David had committed murder. David had committed adultery. It was a crooked, perverse wickedness because he had plotted it out. David had consciously taken his will and plotted all of that out. And here's the amazing thing. He then uses three words to ask for mercy. Now, understanding how wicked his sin was, David uses these words to ask for mercy. Now, in the CSB, the version I read it out of, uh, it's all in verse number one. Well, in any version, it's all in verse number one. But I kind of use the words out of the King James to show you here. But you see them in verse one. The, the first word is gracious. The second word is faithful love. The third word is abundant compassion. But many of the translations will translate them this way. So look at the three words. First of all, is mercy. That's grace for the guilty. Uh, no, the second word is loving kindness. That's goodness plus pity with mercy. So David says, hey, I need grace because I'm guilty. He said, more than grace, I need loving kindness. That is goodness plus pity with mercy. And finally he says, I need tender mercy. That is mercy 
plus compassion, plus tender love. Just like the three sins were all graduating in severity, when you get to the compassion aspect of it, the forgiveness, the, the compassion aspect are all uh, escalating in their level of compassion. Mercy, loving kindness, tender mercy. They all graduate in their level or their intensity of compassion or mercy or grace. So here's what David was trying to say to God. God, when you look down and judge me, I don't want you to give me what I've earned. Don't give me what I deserve. Too many times Christians tell God they don't deserve something. When you tell God you don't deserve something, you are then telling him you deserve something else. And you're inviting him to get you, give you what you deserve. But can I remind you, what we deserve is hell. And don't ever ask for what you deserve. What you want is the compassion and mercy and love and goodness and pity as of God. If you get what you deserve, you're going to be in trouble. I'd much rather get something else. I saw this. Um, I wondered the other day. Let me, let me talk sports for a minute. Non-college football. Let me talk NFL. I wondered the other day, I was looking at the sermon, and I wondered how many teams uh, just win by luck. And you know people, people actually, they actually, now you're, you're not going to be able to see that at all. I can barely see it, but I want to throw it up there to show it to you. I found it. Somebody went through. And graphed out in 2022 the luckiest teams in the NFL. Like sometimes we think it's all skill. Sometimes we think it's all coaching. Sometimes we think it's all athleticism. Sometimes it's just luck. What did they define as luck? For example, four things found its way into the luck category. More than four, but these four you'll understand. Luck was when a team dropped a surefire interception. Luck, well, I, I have them up here. I have them up here. Luck was when a team dropped a surefire interception. Luck is a drop pass by the opponent. That is, it, it, the offense, quarterback, threw it right in the numbers, and he dropped it. The defense doing, didn't do anything to deserve that. It was luck. Luck is a missed field goal by the other opponent, opponent, and luck is a fumble recovery. All those things they put into the luck category. So they go back and they plug all of that into uh, a system and they determined, looked at every game, every play, and they determined the luckiest team in the NFL in 2022. And the luckiest team in the NFL was the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Falcons were number five on the list. The un most unlucky team was the Carolina Panthers. But the luckiest team was uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Here's what they determined. That because of their luck, they won two games they shouldn't have won. That the luck that they had caused them to win two games they shouldn't have won. Now, if you go to the Pittsburgh Steelers and you say, would you rather win on your own merit and only win the games you deserve, or would you rather win two games you didn't deserve to win? They're going to say, no, we don't want to win games we shouldn't have won. We'll just take what we deserve. No, they're not going to do that because they're not morons. They're going to take the wins they didn't deserve. 
And can I tell you something? If you want to come clean with God, you're going to have to ask for mercy you don't deserve. You're going to have to ask for compassion you don't deserve. You're going to have to ask for love and pity and, and, and goodness that you don't deserve. God, don't give me what I deserve. God is in the mercy and the compassion business, and that's what we want. If you want to come clean with God, ask for what you say, God, I have sinned. God, I have done wrong. But God, don't give me what I deserve. Give me compassion. You want to come clean with God, ask for compassion. Number three, I got to move a little faster. You want to come clean with God, long for restoration. Long for restoration. I'm not going to read these verses for time, but he begins in verse number seven, and he lays these out, the restoration that he wants to take place in his life, and here's, here's where he takes it. Beginning in verse number seven, he said, I want to be restored. And here's how he worded it in all these verses. He said, I'm dirty and I want to come clean. I'm crushed, but I want to be glad. I'm guilty, but I want to be restored. I'm depressed, but I want to be joyful. I'm ashamed. Listen, this is great, but I want to evangelize on behalf of God. David said, all these things on the right is, is the way I used to be. Uh, all these things on the left is where I'm now. Right now, I'm, I feel dirty and I'm crushed and I'm guilty and I'm depressed and I'm ashamed because of my sin, right? We can empathize with that. That's what sin does to us. But David said, I want to be restored and I want, I want that feeling of rightness with God and gladness with God and restoration and the joy of my salvation. And I want to tell others about how great God is. Here, listen, if you want to come clean with God, there is got to be part of you that when it comes to being clean with God, listen, you want all the way back clean with God. All the way back. Too many people, their version of restoration, hear me. Matter of fact, just close your Bibles. I got more preaching to do, but I just want you to hear me. I'll show you what you need to see. Listen. Too many people's version of restoration is God get me out of the consequences of my sin so I can remain in it. David said, that's not restoration. I want to go from dirty to clean, from crushed to glad, from guilty to restored, from depressed to joyful, from ashamed. I want all the way back. Right? Nobody wants to be kind of restored. I had to go to... Uh, uh, Verizon the other day my, my cell phone messed up and, and I had to go to Verizon and it just wasn't it was a mess it wasn't working there's all kinds of things wrong with it and I took the phone back and I'm like hey this thing's I just bought it and this thing's not working well and I needed to get fixed and and they said to me we're not going to fix it all the way but we're going to kind of fix it now if you don't know me that doesn't work for me and they didn't say that they actually fixed it that way and by the time I walked out of the store I had the same problem I had when I walked in the store so I just turned around and walked back into the store again but you wouldn't live with kind of fixed right if you went to the if you took your car to the mechanic and he said come back and get it we didn't fix it but we kind of fixed it he said well, I didn't bring it to be if you went to the doctor and the doctor said, man, you got something serious wrong with you and I can cure it, but we're just going to kind of cure it. You'd be like, well, what's wrong with you? 
if, if, you're, if your doctor said, we, I mean, we're not going to bring you all, we could bring you all the way back to health, but we're not going to bring you all the way back to health. We're just going to get you not as sick as you are right now. You say, well, that's ridiculous. Nobody would do that. No, but that's how we approach restoration with God. I want to be a little bit restored, but I, don't, I mean, I don't want to, I, don't, I, I, just, I want to keep doing what I'm doing. No, when you come clean with God, you long for restoration and you want forgiveness and you want your living where it ought to be and your service where it needs to be and you're going to be telling others. Don't let the devil keep you in that kind of zone. See, the devil's okay with partial repentance. No, David said, I want all the way back. Number four, number four. Number four, you want to come clean with God? David said this, live for submission. Now I want to show you these verses. Look, look, look in verse 16. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart for God. Now, what was David trying to say? David was trying to say, here's what submission looks like in the child of God. A broken spirit, a broken heart, a humbled heart. He used all those words. Now, what does that mean to us? Well, it reminds me of another story in the book of Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 15, it's about David's predecessor, Saul, the first king of Israel. David's the second king. And when Saul had sinned, Samuel said this to him. Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifice? Same words David is using in um, in Psalm 51. Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in, follow it, obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. What does it look like when you come clean with God? Coming clean with God is not just saying you're sorry. Coming clean with God is going all the way back to a place of submission to the will of God and the word of God in obedience. So, Proverbs 15, 8 says it this way. The sacrifice of the wicked is detestable to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. You want to come clean with God? It takes obedience. All the way back in repentance is all the way back to obedience. Would you stand with me wherever you may be? Y'all know I got, I got four grandkids, two more on the way. That's going to be six, five, and under. First three are boys. Josh's youngest son right now is uh, Judd. Judd's just a little over three. And Judd has just recently gone through. We hope he's starting to come out of the stage. Judd, Judd's just all boy all boy and when somebody says somebody's all boy it means he's a little he, he was a little wild he still is but he's a little wild and Judd went through the stage some boys go through of um making a mess for the for the pure pleasure of making a mess here's what Judd would do Judd about six or eight months ago learned how to say sorry and he knew when to say it kind of but here's what Judd would do. Judd would walk over to the table in your house and he'd put his hand on a lamp or something and start to push it off. And you'd say, no, Judd, don't do that. And Judd would say, sorry. 
I don't think he meant it. <laughs> Judd would say sorry and then do the deed. Son, I don't want your sorry. I want you to not do the deed. That's what David's trying to say. God doesn't want your sorry unless you're going to be obedient from that point forward. Coming clean with God means you now are to the point where, Lord, I'm stepping away from that sin. I'm saying I'm sorry. I'm seeking forgiveness. But now I'm going to be obedient. That means whatever I'm doing wrong, I'm going to stop it. Whatever I need to fix, I'm going to fix it. Whoever I need to get right with, I'm going to get right with them. I am now going to be right with God. Here's how Proverbs says it. One of my, this is in my daily prayer list. The one who conceals his sin will not prosper. But get this. Whoever confesses, this is Psalm 51 in a nutshell. Whoever confesses and renounces it. That renounce means I'm going back to live in a place of obedience. That's who will find mercy. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that incredible message. And really, Psalm 51 is one of my favorite psalms because it is the quintessential passage of Scripture that talks about repentance. And if you want to know what true repentance looks like, Psalm 51 is the passage you need to read because David was in a mess. He, he had disobeyed God uh, in some pretty uh, public ways. And so um, Psalm 51 is that psalm where he confesses his sin and makes his heart and life right with Christ. And maybe what you need to do during the invitation time, during the end of this service, is you need to get down on your knees and you need to pray that prayer of repentance to make your relationship right with God. Or maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus and your repentance needs to look like your understanding that you're a sinner and that your sin separates you from God. You've got to be willing to admit that. And then you've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. Um, Romans chapter 6 verse 23 tells us that the wages or penalty for our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you have to believe that Jesus died, he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. And then you need to confess him as your personal Lord and Savior. And maybe your repentance today needs to begin with that first step of making him the Lord and Savior of your life. If God spoke in your heart and you need to do that this morning, in the quietness of this moment, right where you are, uh, tell God this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day to pay the penalty for my sin. And Lord, right now, I ask you to come into my heart through the power of your Holy Spirit Take away my sin and be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the very first time, we want to say welcome to the family. We want to celebrate the life change that's just taken place in your heart and life. And so if you would, click on the link we've just dropped in the chat box. It says, I commit my life to Christ. 
It's going to ask you a few questions, and then we, I, I personally am going to connect with you uh, this week. Hey, it's been great to worship uh, together this morning. Uh, I look forward to these times each week. Can't wait to see you next week. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening. <music>